God, the 90s. God, the 90s. Hello, and welcome back. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about baby birthday parties. <laughs> we did it. Achievement unlocked. Yep. <laughs> Morgan, what did we do? We threw our daughter's first birthday party. Yes, in we did. In the park. In the park. Saturday uh, in the park. On a cold day. <laughs> on a cold day. <laughs> it was nice. It was very nice. I would have liked it to be maybe like six degrees warmer. Yeah. When uh, when we originally, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started checking the temperature, what the temperature would be, and it said low 60s. And we were like, perfect. Yeah. It ended up being mid 50s. Yeah. A little less than perfect. Yeah. When the sun was shining, it was nice. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the sun shifted. Sometimes the sun shifted. Yeah. It wasn't so nice. Sometimes a homeless person sat nearby and yeah, watched us. Yeah. Uh, but it was a lovely party. It was so nice. And Barry, honestly, you did incredible amounts of work. <laughs> I I felt like uh, I felt like I didn't actually attend the party. I know because I was running back and forth to the apartment for all the things we forgot. Yeah. And it's funny because you know I I, I cursed myself because a few days before the party we were making lists of stuff we needed. And I said you know worst case scenario. The park's only a block away from the apartment. I'll just run back to the apartment. Right. And I forgot that, yes, the, the, park, park, the park entrance is a block away, right. but we were about five blocks into the park. Yeah. So I was making a 12-block round trip pretty much every 45 mm-hmm. minutes as we realized certain things, uh, some of which we just stupidly forgot, some of which we were like, oh, my God, we needed that, and yeah. I had to run back for it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I felt like, you know... Everybody seemed to be having a good time. I I was the, at the party for maybe twenty five minutes. Uh, That's but, not true. But but it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, Leia had her first birthday cake, which was her first experience with processed flour and sugar. <laughs> and I have to say, did not lose her mind like I thought she would. Well, I really thought that she would get one taste of that the the, the sweet sweet sugar, and that she would just pick it up with both hands and smash it into her face in an effort to inhale it as quickly as possible. Yeah. And instead, she she licked the icing off of her fingers, and then she was like, okay, tried some more. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. I think it was truly, I think it was a function of timing. Yeah. Um, you know, Leia has two naps a day, and we knew that we were probably going to have to sacrifice the second nap for this party because the party started at noon. And we did the cake right around three, which is when she is normally sleeping. Yeah. And I think there was something about, A, the fact that she hadn't napped, B, all of those people suddenly sort of descending on her and singing in her face. Right. And all the cameras. I think she honestly was like, what's going on? It was a serious paparazzi moment. It was pretty funny. You know, you and I were right next to her. And at one point I looked up and literally every single person at the party was leaning over the table holding up a cell phone. Yeah. And I was just looking and going, well, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a baby eating cake, people. It was really funny. It's so cute. Um, well, I'm glad everyone did that because yeah, I because we we, we did not we did not get a lot of pictures because yeah. we were we were running around like crazy. So it um, was. But did you have a moment during the song, the Happy Birthday song, what of do you like mean? surrealness? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. To me, the strangest moment was when you and I went to blow out the candle for her. Yeah. And she kind of leaned in too. Yeah. Almost as though she was going to help us blow it out. She... Almost as though like she had read Charles Sandberg's book. <laughs> And she just leaned yeah, okay. right down in. No. Sure, sure. Um, but I really did have a moment 
And I wondered if this was going to happen towards the end of the song where it just hit me like thunderstruck. Yeah. My God, this is our, our baby's first birthday party. Yeah. It's been a year. Yeah. We, we did it. We did it. Somehow we made it through. We made it through the year. We made it through the party. Yeah. You know, the party, we, we did a barbecue in the park, which was a lot of fun. And again, it would have been nice if it had been a little bit warmer. But I do remember months ago when you said, oh, we should have her party in the park. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, we'll grab one of the grills and we'll barbecue. Yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, yeah, this is going to make it so easy. Yeah, it's going to be uh. so easy. No, it was not so yeah. easy. It was It was still a pain. Shout out to everybody who helped. Of course. Uh, your dad and my brother, both without even being asked, took over the grilling duties. Which uh, was wonderful. I want to stress, too, that their attire was particularly awesome because my dad was wearing a Grillery Clinton Yes, Grillery Clinton apron. apron. <laughs> that is true. And my brother, my brother, who has been threatening to grill our daughter almost since day one, had, had custom made for himself a bib uh-huh. with a picture of her and the words, 365 days of tenderizing, fire up the grill. <laughs> so... So yes, they were cute. they were both attired appropriately. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know your your mother and sister both uh, both made food. Oh, everyone. I mean, uh, you know my did you stuff. know my sister in law yeah. made stuff. I mean, everybody contributed. It yeah. was wonderful. It was such a terrific time. It was still a hell of a lot of work. It was a ton of work, and you know, I always think people with nice backyards that have barbecues. That's a lot of work. So yeah. now double that because you have right. to haul everything. Yeah. And then haul it all back. Away. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. but it was awesome. It was, it was terrific. It really was. It really and was. next year for her second birthday, we will simply be having a virtual party and everyone will <laughs> FaceTime in. No, I, I was thinking a formal sit down dinner. Oh, we could do that too. Yeah. That's what that's I was perfect thinking. for two year olds. That's perfect for two year olds. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, so yeah, I truly, I did have a moment of, of like, whoa. We have a one-year-old. This is a this is a milestone, and uh, I sort of I, I feel like my my voice caught for a second there yeah. while we were singing, and then I I kept it together. I was like, you kept, it together. kept it together. I'm impressed, yeah. and and more importantly, more importantly, Leia kept it together. She did. She really did. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of babies. Perfectly understandable when they're in situations like this, they just melt down. Yeah, you know. Well, she had a, she had and a she five, had, minute, she had a five minute meltdown after afterwards, and then she was fine. And that's just that was very sweet. Yeah, it was adorable. So there you go. There, there's the massive parenting baby update uh-huh. for this episode. We ha- we no longer we, have a baby. Basically, we have an adult. Yeah, yeah, She's pretty one. much. She can She's do everything. Going now. off to college next year. Yeah, uh, she'll be potty trained next week. <laughs> it's going to be great. She's cooking her own meals the week after that. But more importantly, she's cooking for us. Yeah, exactly. When, when does she start cooking for us? When does that happen? So speaking of kids, speaking of our kid and her growing up, mm-hmm. uh, let's tie this in with the other topics of this podcast, writing and publishing. I read an article a while back that I've been wanting to talk about on the show for a while and just mm-hmm. we didn't get a chance yet. But it was titled, Preparing Our Kids for Jobs That Don't Exist Yet. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But... Just the the basics of it is this guy wrote about how when he was a kid and when he was in school, he was learning HTML. He was teaching himself HTML and some web programming and things like that. And his parents and everybody around him were like, why are you wasting your time with this stuff? Mm. This would have been like in the 90s. Okay. God, the 90s. God, the 90s. You know, why are you wasting your time with this stuff? 
And he started to wonder, why am I wasting my time with this stuff? And he even stopped doing it for a while yeah. until until sometime in college he picked it up again. And obviously, you know the punchline of this story. He's now a web developer right. and he's got his own business and he started up this whole this whole website slash business that is designed to teach kids engineering, programming, and math through Minecraft. Oh, so cool. So he takes Minecraft because, again, that's something where parents are like, why are you spending all your time doing this? And yeah. he's like, no, I'm going to teach kids architecture, mm-hmm. and I'm going to teach them city planning, and I'm yeah. going to teach, you know. And basically the thrust of this article, part of it is to promote this business that he's got. But part of it, of course, is think about the things that we do as kids that seem to have no value and then later do. Yeah. And it made me think about a couple of things. It made me think, first of all, about what things is Leia going to be interested in as a child that we can't predict right Mm -hmm. now that we are going to look at each other and go, what the hell hell is wrong with this kid? But back it up even more, which is a lesson that I've had to learn as a parent is as she's exploring things like tactilely in front of her and or she kicks the ball and rolls it away and then needs to go crawl to go get it when it would be 10 times easier for me to just grab it for her right i always have to stop myself and think no wait she's learning something from this right don't give it to her let her figure it out right so um so that sort of seems a little bit related too of like you know let your kids figure stuff out on their sure, own yeah. sure and and i think that's sort of the the point I was getting at. That can be difficult when you don't necessarily see value in what in it what is they're, they're doing. doing. Yeah. It's one thing for the example you just gave, like, you know, she pushes the ball away and then she points to it because she's the laziest baby in the world and she wants you to go get it and give it to her. And you're uh-huh. like, no, you know how to crawl, figure it out, go get yeah. it yourself. Uh, it, that's one thing because you can see there's immediate value in right. her learning that she can get up off her butt and crawl over there and get the ball. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a little more difficult. Maybe if you are a parent in the nineties, watching your teenage son typing, you know, open bracket, a equals right. H ref yeah. quotes, you know, uh-huh. and you're just going, what's the point of this? Yeah. And I just wonder what things she will do yeah. and experience and be interested in that will, I like to think we'll look at each other and go, well, at least she's interested in something, but uh-huh. there may be that part of us going, but why does it have to be this? <laughs> and, you know, hopefully she'll be smarter than us and it will turn into something that she really of enjoys course. and that has meaning for her, not just something frivolous. Although there's something to be said for frivolity of as well. Um, but this also made me start to think about the things that I did when I was a kid And did people see value in those things? And it made me think specifically about writing. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I've wanted to be a writer, and I declared it since I was, like, seven years old. So it was never much of a secret. But I'm wondering, when did you decide, you know, when when did you identify as a writer, Morgan? (laughs) When did you have your authorial awakening? When did you start telling people? When did you come out as, as a writer? Yeah. And what did people, particularly in your family, what did they have to say? Were they supportive? Were they sort of that... Faux supportive that family sometimes does they go where they say that's nice, dear. You know they don't dissuade you, but they're not encouraging you either. What was that like for you, or, or was it so late in life that it it wasn't material? No, um, a couple of things. So I wrote my first short story when I was nine. I remember it. It was called Lily and the Art Gallery. Wow. Yeah, it was fascinating. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember being very proud about it. Yeah. Um, and showing it to my parents, and they were very supportive. But my twin sister and I did something that was really interesting. Um, For years and years, we did this, like all through elementary school, probably up to 
even middle school, maybe even beyond, I don't remember, where, so we loved series of books, Sweet Valley Twins and High and Babysitter's Club and Sleepover Friends and all those. Kelly loved to come up with series ideas and then book titles for the first like five or 10 books. Uh And I would draw the covers of each of them. (laughs) So we would never write the book, but we would like... We, we would we were basically alloy. <laughs> right, <laughs> like I was going to say you guys were book, book, yeah. book packagers, yeah, <laughs> book packagers and artists. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that we spent a lot of time doing that. Wow. And the other thing we did, and this was with my older sister, was um, we would get catalogs, you know, you know, Sears, Toys R Us, whatever, right. and cut people out of them, and then build entire like basically soap operas out of wow. them on paper. Like we huh. would be like, here's this family. They are called the the Smiths right. and their next door neighbors are the Washingtons and they look like this. And here's huh. a storyline for them. So we did a lot of constructing of yeah. stories. Um, so I definitely, I feel like I did more construction and less actual writing. Okay. Um, because then I took a turn towards poetry, which I feel like a lot of teenage I girls I like the do way that. you say, I took a turn towards poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and then the dark days no, of poetry. No. But I feel like you did a lot of immediate story writing. Is that true? Yeah, like yeah. Although I, I, and... I too, I too took a dark turn towards poetry. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. In, I mean, in, that is partly a teenage. In, thing. It is. It's a yeah. teenage thing. It, I, I definitely think it's a teenage thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I being me mm-hmm. was trying to find like I was trying to invent new types of poetry, uh. Uh, very unsuccessfully because I didn't have the patience to sort of see it through. Um, you know, I would come up with a great idea for the structure of a poem that was enormously complicated. Of course. And then I would get tired of trying to make it all fit together because yeah. it was a lot of effort. And like, well, no wonder nobody's ever done this. Dumbass. Yeah. It's not that you're the genius who figured it out. It's that everybody else figured out it wasn't worth it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I guess what I'm looking for, so obviously your, your sisters were supportive because they course. were playing yeah. with you, but like, did your parents... Like, what, did they have anything to say about this? I, I mean, you've met my parents. They're incredibly supportive people anyway. Sure, sure. So there was never a moment where I ever felt like they didn't support me yeah. or like they were just amusing me, right. you know? Like, okay, dear, keep, yeah. keep writing. Um, but I, again, I don't, I don't think I went around as strongly as you did and said, I'm going to be an author. That was not ha- – like, I always envisioned that, certainly, um, and hoped for it, but – I also, like, when someone asked me when I was 15, what do you want to be when you grow up? I didn't say, I don't think I said an author. Right. I think I said I want to do some kind of writing and also maybe something like, you know what I mean? So, so it was a little, a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I do remember the first time that I was, I told someone I was a writer, uh, which felt like a big moment. <laughs> like I, it was a stranger on a train and he asked me and I was, tw- I think I was like 22 or 23 and he was like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a writer. <laughs> and it was true because I was getting, I was, uh, my first job was yeah. a communications job. So I was getting paid to write. And so anyway, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, how, how about you? How did you I, feel supported? I, well, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I, I always tell kids when I talk at schools, I always say, when people ask you what you want to do when you grow up, if you answer with anything that they don't have experience with, mm. their reaction tends to be, that's nice. What are you really going to do? Mm, yeah. Whether it's stated that boldly yeah, yeah. and provocatively or, or not. And that is completely understandable because when you don't have experience with something, especially when it's, I'm going to be a professional baseball player, I'm going to well, be a rock star, I'm yeah. going to be an author. These are things that for the most part, 
you know, people do not have direct experience with. Yeah. We live in New York. So as, as our friend Sarah once said, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a New York Times bestselling author right, in this right. town. So, you know, maybe author doesn't sound quite as glamorous as those other things. But out in the real world, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly I grew up in a town where there were no authors. There was nobody who knew any authors, right. you know. Um, so I think... I think when I was younger, the reaction of my family was typically, oh, that's really cool. That's neat. Like, he does have a great imagination, and mm-hmm. he's really good with ri- with words and writing, and he does great at that stuff in school, blah, blah, blah. And it seemed like as I got older, it became more of, oh, wait, he's serious about this. Like, <laughs> this this isn't like the five minutes in kindergarten where he wanted to be an astronaut, like, yeah. you know? Like, he's serious about this, and since they had no experience with it, yeah. nobody knew how to advise me, and... Nope. It didn't seem terribly practical, you okay. know? Uh, and, and my family was big on practical. I mean, really? I remember, okay. I remember my grandmother saying to me, you know, as I was going off to college and trying to decide what to major and saying, you know, I know you want to write, but you know, you have to eat too. You got to think about these things. You hmm. have to, you have to have something to fall back on. What's so interesting too, is that's so generational because I bet now when there are kids saying, I want to be a writer, their parents who are, you know, your age and above, my age and above for, yeah. for young parents, they're probably saying, okay, there are tons of writing jobs because of the internet. Like, <laughs> well, either that either that, or they're saying, writer, no, be a director or a producer. Right, That's yeah, where the money yeah, is, writer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like this, I guess this idea was 30, 40 years ago when you said writer, you thought author. Well, and, and also... there were very few authors. And, and there were also very few... Way there were very few paths to making to a make, living. At yeah, that, exactly. Know? Now there's a lot of ways to making to make there a are, living. There at are writing. there are more ways, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. Certainly, you know, writing content for a website isn't the same thing as writing of a novel not. if that's yeah. what you want to do. Uh. But you know, it was just, it was really interesting. You know that that as I got older, it seemed more and more like, wait a minute, like, he's not. Let's stop this train. Like, yeah. Like, seriously, yeah. like I I think there was a sense of. Oh my God, like he's going to starve or worse, he's going to move back in, you know? (laughs) And, and, and I think that they were worried for me and I I don't think it was a question of, you know, oh, he's not talented enough or, or anything like that, but just that, you know, nobody had any experience with how does this happen? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you become this? And I had been sending stories, like I had been submitting stories consistently since the age of 12 Mm -hmm. and had racked up a grand total of no sales. Right. (laughs) So, which makes perfect sense because again, I was 12. Right. But still, you know, you look at it, you know, at that stretch of time and having absolutely no success and it's like, okay, he wants to do this. He's been trying it for a number of years now and hasn't gotten anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, is this really realistically something that he could do and make a living at it? So I, I think that was a reasonable fear to have, but it's just, it's just interesting to me because certainly, you know, if somebody had had said something persuasive enough to shut me down at that point, which nobody ever did, yeah, then I never would have gotten to where I am. Just like this guy who wrote this article, yeah, you know, nobody nobody was able to convince him not to code. Well, and here's the thing: it is not a parent's job to try and shut down their kids. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I would hope a parent didn't try to dissuade you from doing that. Oh, I didn't say anybody tried. I just, I mean, people people can say things that have repercussions they don't imagine. Of course, you know. Um, you know, I, I tell the story a lot about how when I was seven, my grandmother said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a writer. And she said, that's nice. You want to starve. Mm-hmm. And she was kidding. Right. She was totally kidding. But 
I was seven. Yeah. I didn't understand that it was a joke. Mm-hmm. And so for a number of years, I thought she was really serious wow. and that I would starve if I was a writer. And I spent a lot of time. I was a smart little kid. I was like, I can figure this out. I can figure out how to write and not starve wow. at the same time. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure those things out um, before I realized, oh, it's that's just like a joke. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but certainly adults, influential adults in your life when you're a kid can say something that can send you off on a path and they don't mean anything by it. It's just an offhand comment to them and Mm -hmm. to you, you obsess over it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it it is interesting. Again, I am, I am just dying to see what she's interested in. Um, and, uh, and, and and it is. It's just a strange thing when when you're a child and you latch onto something and you stick with it and you actually succeed at it. People tend to be really surprised. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people give up on well, yeah. on whatever it is that they were really interested in, and and it's just sort of sad to me because I think I think more of them would succeed than they think. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, I I think a lot of people need to give up. <laughs> I, like wow, this it's no, no, like no, we've like, switched places. Well, Usually, I'm the downbeat one. When you when someone says they want to be a rock star, yeah, and they say that since the time they were five, which yeah. everyone between the five, ages of five and ten wants to be a rock star anyway. They want to be a model, an artist, a vet, a marine biologist. Even though we don't know what marine biologists are when we're that young. Um, an actor. I never wanted to be any of those things. Really? <laughs> never. Even I went through the marine biologist phase. And I'm like, I literally did not even know what that was. I just thought, cute animals in the water. Like, <laughs> I grew up on the beach. I was like, that sounds really cool. I'm six. I'm in. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a... Or a firefighter. Like, there's a list of ten... <laughs> <laughs> careers and rock star and actor is one of them or something like that. That maybe not anymore. Actually now I think reality star is one of them. Reality star, <laughs> YouTube star. Yeah. yeah. But the truth is 99% of them are not going to become what they want to be. Wow. <laughs> no, that's true. Morgan Bay dropping some truth, dropping some truth. No, I'm serious. And so when you said, so I guess what I'm trying to say is if a hundred kids grow up saying all they want is to be a musician who earns enough money to, to make a living as a musician, right. they're not all going to do that. So it's probably wise that eight out of 10 of them get us, get a day job. Right. I, I'm not, I wasn't saying a majority of people. I'm just saying that there are, there's a non-zero number of people out there who gave up yes. early on. And if they hadn't, they would have actually achieved what they wanted. Okay. That's all I'm saying. And that just makes me sad. To yeah, think yeah. That. Well, of course, yeah. That's but all. I remember you, we had a conversation a few podcasts ago about uh, someone you knew who kept in, submitting and submitting and submitting. Um, I think it was a comic book, and even quit his day job to focus on his writing, and got a rejection from someone that was like, "You should not do this. You are oh, not no, good enough." No, for he, this. no, he didn't quit his day job. Oh, okay. But no, he did get that. That yeah, like you are the not most good brutal editor letter ever. Yeah. 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 yeah, and th- I mean th- that's that's a sure. reality for sure. a lot of people. Oh, no. That yeah. is, I mean, that's the reality for ninety nine point nine percent probably. Yeah. But I just I think of that point one percent sometimes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, just you know. Yeah, and I I mean I have I think I have direct experience with someone who could do with a lot of people. You know, I grew up in a small town. I think a yeah. lot of very smart, talented people let their fear overtake them, um, or their inertia, or whatever, and they. Um, did not go on to do all the great things that I think a lot of people expected them to do. Right. And that's really sad. Yeah. 
But no, hey, as long we, as people are happy. We both grew up in small towns. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, you absolutely. know, that, that, that is the experience that we've both had. Yeah. So I wanted to talk quickly. I wanted to do a follow-up from last week. Okay. Because we talked about The Leftovers. And yeah. The opening of season two. Yeah. And we got a comment from Sarah. Hey, Sarah. On the website saying um, saying that it, the cavewoman beginning sounds wonderful, but it sounds like this could only be possible in TV. Mm. Basically, the tension-filled risk beginning that doesn't quite tie into the story just yet doesn't really work for first-time writers. Since agents only read chapters one, two, and three, mm-hmm. yeah. you run the risk of a no-read because they can't understand how you got there. Maybe this is different for literary fiction. I tend to remember the rule for commercial fiction slash young adult fiction, which is what I write. The rule is hold back on the prologue, get to the effing story. Yeah, So, and I want to... Um, I want to jump in here before you do, because okay. I think I have closer experience to this because I've been over the past five years querying and heavily, in, you know, three different novels and heavily involved in, um, writing message boards and things like that, where people talk about this. Sure. There was a very big trend probably three years ago. Uh, I would say that peaked three years ago where, All anybody talked about in this community was the importance of, A, the opening line, and B, the opening chapter. And how basically, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this was just my perception, but it felt like all of the advice from every agent and every editor was, the best line of the book has to be the opening line. It has to be packed with action. It has to, like, it was it was crazy. Like, the expectations for this opening line were overwhelming. Right. And... I think what happened as a result was a lot of aspiring writers workshopped that first chapter to death, came up with an amazing first chapter for their book, and then the rest of the book was like fell apart. Right. Um, so I so then there was this trend of agents saying like giving interview, interviews and saying like you guys are doing great with the first chapters, but you have to you have to do the same thing with all the rest of them. And anyway, so I really relate to what Sarah's saying here, which is this idea that. Um, and it's it's accurate, and I'm hoping that the pendulum is, has swung in the other way at this point. But this idea that, uh, first of all, editors and agents complain all the time about prologues. Right. I've heard that multiple times, which is a shame because I like a good prologue. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think it's probably accurate to say that uh, what happened in The Leftovers Season 2, Episode 1 could not happen in a, in a YA book right now. I don't think last week we were saying that writers should attempt to mimic what the leftovers did by starting their books with this tension-filled beginning that doesn't directly tie into Mm -hmm. the story. Yeah, yeah. I think what we were saying was, watching this beginning, we had two points. The one is, wow, this is a really interesting lesson in how to develop tension, Uh right? Um, And obviously... You know, you have things on a TV screen that you don't have in your book mm-hmm. that you, so it doesn't translate directly. Yeah, we, yeah. Would, we wouldn't claim that it translates directly. I think what we were saying last week, number one, was just study how they did that and think of how you could do Replicate. that yeah. in, in with prose. And the other thing was talking about risk. And again, maybe we weren't clear, probably we weren't clear because we were talking very much off the cuff. I don't think we were saying start your book with. <laughs> Something that has nothing to do with the rest of the story and just see what happens. I think what we were saying was they took a big risk and it paid off. Right. Think about ways you can take risks Mm -hmm. in your writing. We weren't saying they started their story this way and it was really great so other people should do it. What we were saying was they did a lot of great tension 
and they took a big risk and let's explore how they did those things mm-hmm. and how we can apply them to our own work. Yeah. Which doesn't mean put it at the beginning and make it not connected. It just means tension, risk, how can we use those in our own mm-hmm. work? That's all we were trying to get across. I yeah. Think. yeah. And it's, I'm glad she sent in the comment because it allowed us to clarify it. It also allowed you to talk about this this trend, this pressure, this pressure it is, that, that, that about the opening have. line in the opening chapter. I mean, I remember, you know, even oh god, more than ten years ago when I was submitting stuff, I remember people talking about that first sentence has to be magic. You know, that yeah. first sentence has to be perfect. Blah blah blah, and and it sort of drove me nuts because I'm like, if the first sentence is so great, then you're just downhill from there. <laughs> so, I mean, you just said a few minutes ago, you know, the first sentence has to be the best sentence in right. the book. Well, if that's the case... Then what's the point of the book? What's the point of reading the damn book? <laughs> You've already read the best sentence in the book. Do you feel pressure for this at all with your books? Like, like the first you, sentence, the first chapter? The first chapter, sentence in the first, first chapter. Like, you know, again, I like a... I've talked about this before. I enjoy books that have a sort of slow sinking into the story i i am a fan of the uh of the 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 leisurely open yeah you know the the sort of hey hi there yeah hi my name's barry sit down uh-huh. are you comfortable can i get you a coke or anything right great great is that comfortable enough for you? terrific look i want to tell you a story okay yeah. and uh this is gonna be a story about a kid who's got a problem right all right my god what is that behind you right you know i I like that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I knew we were going to talk about this because we had chatted about it a little bit during the week. And I started thinking about I, – I, I was like, she's going to ask me about the opening lines to my stories. And I started thinking about them. Well, and, because I think Killer's book line has yeah. a fantastic opening line. Uh, oh, oh. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful field except for the body. Uh-huh. Thanks. Uh, it's funny because it, it made me go back and look at some of – Yep. My, my my older things. And I do remember, you know, Fanboy and Goth Girl begins, there are three things in this world I want more than anything. I'll tell you the first two, but I'll never tell you the third. Right. And, so and, good. and I remember coming up with that because I was like, I need something that's going to grab wow. an editor's attention. Yeah. And I thought, that works. And it worked character-wise. Otherwise, it would just be hanging mm-hmm. there. The reason why it works is the first line of the story is because it's the yeah. theme to the whole story, practically. Um but it's one of those things where, you know, I thought, oh, here we go. Like, I'm going to, I'm basically shoving this in an editor's face yeah. and saying, nah, nah, I'm not going to tell you something. Yeah. And now you got to turn the page because you got to find out, uh-huh. you know? And so I thought, I thought that that would work. But it's interesting because one of my favorite opening lines, I went back and looked, turned out not to be the opening line. Oh, and funny. then I remembered that I softened it um, because originally, the opening to Goth Girl Rising, when I when I first started working on it, was uh, before she went and died, my mother told me to stop bitching about my period all the time. Okay. Which I loved. Yeah. Like, right there, you know who this kid right. is, right? I just love that. And, and my editor was like, Barry, come on. <gasps> come on. Wow. And I forgot that I had had that conversation with her and that I had changed it. And I went to look it up earlier... Just to get the right wording for that first line, and that's not the first line anymore. That's the second line now. Ah. The first line. The first line is my mother and I both spent a lot of time in hospitals. Unlike her, I survived. Also, a really good line. Thanks. That's but actually a- that's actually not the first line because I forgot. That's the first sentence of chapter one. But before chapter uh. one, there's a short poem. Okay. That Kira had written. Ah. Uh. And I remember now, the moment when I decided to put that poem in there. 
because there's other poems of hers scattered throughout the novel. Uh-huh. And I thought, no, I should open this with a poem. Okay. And it'll be, as opposed to the in-your-face of before she went and died, my mother, it'll be this leisurely way of getting you into the story. And that's why I did it that way. And it's certainly not as dramatic Mm -hmm. and as in your face as before my mother went and died. But I think it it works all the same. This is all part of, and again, like I said, I really hope this pendulum is swinging in the other way. But um, for several years now, it's been a sort of anti-slow YA trend. Um, everything has to be super fast paced and you have to dive into the action right away. And I just think that's kind of boring when everything's the same, everything is the same, you know, and it's just really frustrating. Every book either opens with some sort of absurd, ridiculous action or some incredibly ridiculously rebellious, snarky comment, Right. you know? Uh, and it's just, it's getting old. It's yeah. And it's, I think it's really a shame because I know some really wonderful books that uh, are represented by good agents and have not sold. Yeah. And I mean, that's I think, a shame. I, th- I think a part of it, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm placing blame here. I'm not trying to place blame. I'm just trying to sort of rationalize or explain mm-hmm. this part of this phenomenon. You know, agents get a lot of junk sent to them. Of course. Okay. They get a lot of slush in their, in their email. And I think when you had a lot of agents out there giving interviews saying, you got to grab me from the first sentence, you got to block. It was a cry of desperation. It was a plea. It was, oh my God, I can't open one more document and read about a girl waking up from a dream and rolling over to look in the mirror and describe herself. And and, you know, I can't do it anymore. So I'm just telling people don't do this anymore. Do this instead. Grab my interest with this. And then at least a bunch of people echo that. And then it becomes, and then it becomes a rule. Right. As opposed to just, Oh my God, please help me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it it becomes difficult. I think. And then again, everybody does it. There's the echo chamber of the message boards and the blogs and people just, they just go overboard with it, yeah. you know, and it, yeah. it just, be, it becomes a beast. Yeah. And so. yeah, I hope, I hope that it, it changes because, you know, I, I really think that you can, you can grab a reader with some crazy action or, or, or some shocking profane statement at the beginning of your book. You can also grab them with a description of the wind that yes. is just beautiful. Yep. You can also grab them with a poetic moment uh-huh. that just makes them stop on page one and close the book and think for a moment before they even continue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think I told you when I first read your manuscript, the first draft of your manuscript a few years ago, like I got to page like 20 before I was like, Oh, this is what's happening in this book. Like I didn't even know what the book was about (laughs) until I got, but I didn't care because the writing was so strong that it picked me up and swept me along. Mm -hmm. And, and I just wanted to keep reading these gorgeous sentences, you know? And I think that there's a place for that. Yeah. And it doesn't all have to be, you know, chapter one, page one. I ducked as the bullets whizzed over my head. It's kind of like the hunger games, which is a super action-packed book, generally speaking, and trilogy. And super successful. Obviously. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> but the first half of chapter one is kind of nice, slow, sinking into characters. If, if, if Suzanne Collins had written The Hunger Games the way people are being told to write their fiction, yeah. she would have opened with... Katniss leaping over a fence and firing an arrow dramatically right, exactly. at, at something nearby, yeah. you know, and, and 
and that's how it would have opened. Mm-hmm. No, she opened with really nice character moments. Yeah. She immediately established on page one, Katniss. She's poor. She's got a sister named Prim that she worries about. She doesn't like this cat. Her mom can't take care of it. That's on page one. Mm-hmm. She establishes all that stuff. No action at all. It's just character work. And it's well done character work. Okay. So... Now it is time on the show when we do recommended reading slash what are you reading now? I will tell you right now, I'm reading nothing. <laughs> we had a one-year-old's birthday party this weekend. I did nothing all week but prepare for that, I felt like. I went to the store like every day. Like we did shopping. I don't think it was pre- like every day. It was literally, it was every, literally day. every day. And and we sometimes prepared twice. sometimes tw- some yeah. And we prepared food and we got stuff ready and all that stuff. I read nothing this week because <laughs> I was either preparing for the party or sleeping. So <laughs> Me. What have you got? Um, I'm really excited because, uh, well, first of all, on Thursday, I was up on the editorial floor at work, and they have these great big, many boxes of freebies. And it's one of the big bonuses of working yep. in publishing, free and books. And I hadn't been, I hadn't browsed through them in, in weeks and weeks, if not months, and I found a whole bunch of ARCs that I had been thinking about and hadn't yet read. So I've got a whole stack of, of to-be-read things, which I'm very excited about. And um, I'm mostly excited because the librarian at work gave me the third installment in the Colors of Madeline trilogy by Jeff uh, Moriarty. You've talked about that before. Yeah, I love this. I love her, and this is her latest trilogy. And um, this book has been delayed, so I'm psyched that I finally got my hands on a copy. It comes out in January. Uh, so I'm, What's it called? It's called A Tangle of Gold. Excellent title. Yeah, and... Uh, I'm really excited. So I'm, I'm cool. starting that tomorrow morning. <laughs> and that comes out in a few months. Uh, January. Comes okay. out in January. We will put a pre-order link in the show notes Great. so that people can show their love before the book even comes out. Awesome. All right. Well, that is it for this week, folks. Thank you once again for listening. We are your very tired co-hosts, Barry Liga <laughs> and Morgan Baden. Please visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Leave a comment. Send us feedback. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Subscribe to us in iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. We have ratings there. We want more of them. We're a ravenous ratings beast. We want more ratings. Thank you all for listening. We will see you again next week. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks.